You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, we've made it for another perspective, uh, what is it, Monday. It's the next day when um, we complain about the Green Bay Packers, but also realize that everybody sucks. I'm not going to go too much into it, but let me just ask this question, just real quick. If we were playing the Rams this week, instead of the Titans, is there one person that would say the Packers are going to walk all over the Rams because the Rams are literally worse than the Jets? No, is the answer to that question. I I would be as scared of the Rams as I was before they lost to the Jets. Literally as scared, because that game, it, it doesn't move the needle even a little bit. Because that's a complete fluke. It's a complete fluke. It happened. The Rams were sleeping because it's the Jets. The Rams, at their best, win 10 times out of 10. Period. 10 times out of 10, if the Rams are actually trying. The Rams played like garbage. The Jets played probably their best game of the season. Frank Gore drugged that team, dragged that team. I don't know why English makes that a thing. Telling me dragged is the appropriate way to say it? That sounds stupid. You make us all sound stupid. Whoever came up with that rule makes all of us in the English language seem like cavemen. Drugs sound so much more sophisticated. Dragged sounds like we're in, I don't know, deliverance? Right? Anyways, I want to talk to you guys about how my wife ruined my childhood. Can we talk about that for a minute? First of all, if there's something that you love that you haven't seen or engaged with or, you know, eaten, drunken... I, see, I'm now I'm all confused. I don't know what the words are. Drink did in a long time. Just let it go, man. Let it live in the glory of your memory, your childhood dreams. Although I will say, Anaconda is still pretty good these days. The graphics are pathetic, but um, it's actually a pretty good movie, minus the bad graphics. I was impressed. I went back and watched it. I thought for sure I would hate it. I did not. Terrible graphics and all, I would watch it again. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. Went shopping yesterday, and I see, as I'm going down the aisle, bottles of squirt. My grandma, on my mom's side, always used to have squirt. Squirt and 50-50. It was weird. Nobody ever had that. She had it. Loved it. In my mind, they're all basically Sprite. But they're just a little, you know, a little different whatever. So I bring this thing of squirt. I never buy soda, ever in my life. So my wife sees it and she's like, oh, you bought soda? That's weird. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Grandma used to do it. You know, I went through the whole thing. Nostalgia, right? I'm just going to suck down some nostalgia. It's going to be delicious. She looks at it and says, ew, it's grapefruit? I don't know if it's a guy thing or if it's a me thing. I don't read any label. That's why I hate when my wife tells me to go to the store and get something specific. Get me the yogurt that's seedless. Now I have to read it. I have to know if it's strawberry. And then I got to text you and say, is strawberry banana okay? Because just strawberry isn't the thing. And then she says, yes, it is. But I found one and it's got seeds in it. And I got to sit here and read a book. I don't read label. I had no idea that was grapefruit drink. I hate grapefruit. It's disgusting. It tastes like garbage. It's like rotting fruit. It's like an orange if it sat out in the sun for a month. And a jaguar, you know, urinated on it or something. I don't know. It tastes horrible. So sure enough, I try to block it out. I I told my wife, yes, it's grapefruit, because, of course, I'm not going to sound like an idiot. 
Yeah, of course I know it's grapefruit. Yeah, it's, it's still good though. Psh. Why don't you not worry about it? It tastes tastes like garbage. I mean, I, I there, there's the nostalgia part of my brain is like, oh yeah, that's the good stuff. But then the adult part of my brain is like, dude, you're drinking grapefruit soda. This is disgusting. Why are you doing this? I'm trying to get that part of my brain shut up and it won't. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anyways, ruined my childhood. You know how many decades I've been saying I love squirt without ever having consumed squirt since I was like six? To be fair, I used to love liver sandwiches when I was six. Didn't know that's what it was. I just used to ask for the brown sandwiches. Had no idea it was liver. Tried it once as an adult. I'm still traumatized. Anyways, starting to think my family just hated me. They gave me liver sandwiches and grapefruit soda. Yeah, my family hated me for sure. For sure. Grandma had Sprite in the back. She just brought out the squirt when I showed up. Show that little jerk. Anyways, it was a glorious day for football, aside from the fact that I got eliminated thanks to the stupid Jets beating the Rams in my Eliminator uh, Challenge thing. Survivor Pool is what it's called. But whatever. On this Perspective Monday, we've got the Dallas Cowboys pummeling the San Francisco 49ers, who are officially, I believe, eliminated from the playoffs. They're done. They're out of here. Which, there's something super special about all this. We have been hearing how brilliant, how absolutely brilliant, Kyle Shanahan is. And we probably shouldn't get too cocky, because our coach is basically the same kind of coach. But the guy took, like, four years before he actually had a good team. Four years of first-round picks before they were any good. And after one year of getting to the Super Bowl and losing, they're done. So it's, you know, for all the people who are screaming about, yeah, but the 49ers annihilator, would you rather, would that make you happy? Would you rather, if we were the 49ers, would you rather suffering for three years of early round picks because we suck, and then we go to the Super Bowl once, they, they win one more game than the Packers did, get eliminated, and then your team is garbage again, you don't even make it back to the playoffs? Would you prefer that? Just curious. Because they're done. They're eliminated. They're 5-9. and nine. They're out of the playoffs. Because they lost to the Dallas Cowboys, who don't have a coach, don't have a quarterback, don't have a defense, nothing. They lost. 41-33. to 33. That's unbelievable. Seahawks barely beat Washington. Chicago annihilated Minnesota. As I've been saying, I'm starting to get concerned about Chicago. Not that these are stalwart defenses, but three weeks in a row now, this offense, who has no ability to score points, has put up 30 points. I don't really care who you play. If you have Mitch Trubisky and no wide receivers and a terrible offensive line and you're scoring 30 points a game and you still have that defense, you suddenly are playing like a playoff team. What, what, what are they missing to be a playoff team? What are they missing to win playoff games? Well, let me ask it this way. What are they missing that if they get into the playoffs, they can't beat the Packers? I don't know about you. I don't want to get eliminated by the Bears, who are now next up in line on the bubble to the playoffs. They are 7-7. Seven and seven. They're, they're next in line if anybody else drops out, and the Cardinals are playing like garbage right now. They may, in fact, sneak in, especially when we're now having a conversation about who do we actually play against the Bears. Maybe we just let them win that game. Oh, goody, what a great plan. This team that is white hot right now, winning because of their offense while still having Khalil Mack and everybody else, I just, I'm not interested in this game. I don't want to play this game really want the Bears to lose. Now, I don't know who they're playing next week. Let's look it up, I guess, but I just don't want them. I don't want them to win. Oh, good. It's the Jaguars. Oh, no. And the Cardinals have the 49ers and the Rams. Oh, my goodness. They're going to go 0-2, aren't they? I know the 49ers are eliminated, but it's a it's an in-division thing. Oh, they're definitely going to lose to the Rams. I got to do the simulator now because I got to know what's about to happen. So if the Bears win... Yeah, 
I think the Bears are going to be in the playoffs unless we beat them because the Bears are going to beat the Jaguars. Even if the Cardinals beat the 49ers, the next week, if the Bears beat the Packers and the Rams beat the Cardinals, the Bears are in. I think they're in unless we beat the Bears. But even if we beat the Bears, if if the Cardinals go 0-2, the Bears are in. I don't want them in, man. And I understand thinking it's it's possibly a fluke, but you know, when they scored 30 points once, I said it was a fluke. When they scored 30 points twice, that's pretty weird, and it was a little bit worrying because usually you don't fluke your way to th- a bad offense doesn't fluke its way to 30 wins twice in a row. Generally, that's not going to happen. 3 times in a row? I'm sorry. That's not a fluke. You don't have a bad quarterback, bad wide receivers, bad offensive line, bad play calling and get to 30 points 3 times in a row accidentally. Unless the defense is taking an interception, walking it down to the wrong end zone, and handing it to an offensive player and saying, here, you know what? You score. I don't know how else you do that. Because a bad defense doesn't force you to score. You still have to do stuff. But anyways, so the Bears won. And hey, at least they beat the Vikings. That makes it kind of funny. Because, remember, it wasn't that long ago the Vikings were starting to pick up some steam. And there was sort of a similar sentiment about... You know, man, I don't know if I really want to play the Vikings right now because they're really starting to pick it up. I mean, to be honest, they look, they're still kind of doing some good things, I guess. But they were uh, one and five before their bye week. They come out and go three and zero, lose to Dallas, but win their next two. So they're five and one, just beating everybody, but then lose to Tampa fourteen to twenty six, and then lose to the Bears because your defense gave up thirty points to the Bears. Then you got to play the Saints. That's probably another loss, and then Detroit. Who cares? You're out of the playoffs. Congratulations. You played yourselves. Although, please beat the Saints. I'm just saying. New England was taken out by Miami. What what an absolutely beautiful moment for the Miami Dolphins, by the way. Not only has New England been taken out of the playoffs, but it was Miami that escorted them out the door. I mean, just it, I mean, it really is a beautiful moment for the NFC or the AFC East. Genuinely, just fantastic. Those poor teams have been stomped on by New England. I mean, for I mean, some people that are listening to this podcast, that's all they've ever known. I still remember rooting for New England against the Rams because I wanted the underdogs to win and being laughed at. Like, there's no way this stupid Patriots team is going to beat the Rams. They're too good. Feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, Tennessee dismantled Detroit, so they're officially out of the hunt. Not that they were ever really in it. Jets beat the Rams, which obviously is devastating to the Rams. Which, I mean, can, can we sit here for a minute? Because, in a sense, I'm glad, I mean, in every sense, I'm glad the Rams lost, but when really good teams take days off, they deserve to lose. And I, 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 listen, I'm not necessarily saying the Packers deserve to lose to Carolina, but if they had, they would have deserved it. I don't want it, but they would have earned it. I don't know exactly what happened for the Green Bay Packers, but I do know that, um, let's just say there are some theories floating around that guys were deciding to take the day off, that there was some signs and indications that guys were way too confident before the game, arrogant, you know, we're talking about Aaron Rodgers' MVP, Devontae Adams all breaking all these records, everything else, Bakhtiari's best tackle in football, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Nobody's talking about the Panthers. Everybody's talking about how many awards the Packers are going to win, if, you know, the Packers are going to win the Super Bowl. Nobody cares about the Carolina Panthers. There's a game happening on Saturday. Nobody's even talking about the game. Why? Well, because we got bigger things to worry about. It's completely unbelievable that guys that have been in the league this long have not figured out you can't do that stuff. If you're a rookie, cool. 
By the time you're in your second year, I feel like you would have seen enough. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth year in the league, zero excuse for taking days off. But we see it every year. We see it all the time. These kind of flukish games where guys are not putting in 110% because they're not scared. Maybe that's just in the DNA of hyper-competitive people who have, who have always been super dominant. That's sort of, I'll take you out you know, with one hand behind my back kind of mentality. Like, I don't even need to practice to beat you. We're, we're on another level, little boy. Because almost every time when you don't try, the other team's going to win. And I don't really care who the teams are. It could be Rams-Jets. It could be Steelers-Washington. It doesn't matter. If you don't prepare for an NFL football team, you're probably going to lose. And again, there was a lot of great things, and we'll take a break and do PFF in a second here. we got to do a brief PFF, because yes, I took too long. Sorry, going to be a short episode. I'm the worst person in the world. Get over it. But there just there has to be. I mean, it, it, that should almost be the first thing a coach does when you come up against an opponent that's, you know, a, a less than 500 team. The first thing you would, the first thing I would want to do is put together a highlight reel of every time my team has lost to bad teams. Packers losing to the Chiefs back in uh, 2011. That was not supposed to happen, but it did. And then getting knocked out of the playoffs by a team that, granted, they were getting red hot at the right time, but the Giants were not expected to be necessarily a very good team that year. Two losses came by two teams that were just generally not seen as threats. So although I'm I'm all in on a team that's willing to prepare and bring their best against good teams, that's great. Ultimately, that's what we need in the playoffs and, and cool. But it's just it's just wildly unacceptable for an NFL football team to not realize you have to try hard, even against bad teams. You have to bring your A game. You got to get your sleep, man. You can't be up partying. Can't be hitting the bars. Can't be skipping workouts. Goes for coaches too. Coaches who want to peek into next week, maybe do a you know 75% game plan because I'm spending you know a little bit of time on the Titan, peeking a little bit. I don't know. I'm just saying it's it's just it's it's crazy to me that this happened. It's just crazy to me. I mean, it's again, it's what makes football great from an NFL fan perspective. But man, as a fan, it just drives you. As a fan of a team that's really good, it drives you nuts. Also. If you're a Jets fan, kind of drives you crazy. Because I've 90% of Jets fans are furious that the Rams decided not to show up. Because they just lost Trevor Lawrence because of this. Almost guaranteed. Unless the Bears just are like, nah, never mind. We were really good for a long time, and now we're just going to show you how absolutely bad we are and lose to the Jaguars. Which is possible. But imagine losing a generational talent quarterback. A guy that, that has been hailed since he came out of high school as the next great quarterback, has been considered the number one quarterback in college football since the, the day he set foot on Clemson's football field, probably even before that, sort of an Andrew Luck type of prospect, and we just lost it. Now, and, you know, I'm not going to get into the tanking argument because, again, coaches and players don't tank, and I, I, I don't advocate for that. I think it's not good for a team. I think tanking happens at a GM level, and, and to be fair, I don't know what else you could have done as a GM of that team. You don't have any good players to begin with. What are you going to do? You know, I, I don't I don't know. I, I would have assumed you were bad enough to, to lose to the Rams and not worried about it, but whatever. And then the Chiefs did pull it out against the New Orleans Saints. It was getting real hairy there for a moment, but uh, the Saints got taken down a peg, so the Packers are in real strong control of their destiny right now. And again, it's it's rare for something like this to even happen. It's rare for the Packers to have such a commanding lead in the NFC North. We had that locked up like a week ago. That never happens. And for any team, especially the Packers, to have this much of a commanding lead of the NFC, period, it's it's very, very weird. So um, I'm very happy about that. 
Also happy every single week we've got more and more teams that are out of contention, which means hopefully my NFL Draft YouTube channel gets a little bit of a spike. We now have the Jets, the Jaguars, the Bengals, the Panthers, the Falcons, the Texans, the Chargers, the 49ers, the Broncos, the Lions, and the Patriots all eliminated from playoff contention. Welcome to the NFL Draft, fellas. Where dreams come true in your imagination because you still suck. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break, come back, take a peek at PFF, take a, take the rest of the day off, and uh, pretend to go to work and care that uh, you know we're not sitting there daydreaming about Christmas break. If you get a Christmas break, I don't know, I do. Federal government employee, Trump said I get Christmas Eve off too, so thank you for that, sir. Mucho apreciado. But anyways, why don't we take a break, and we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the first thing I want to look at uh, via PFF, I, I doubt any Carolina Panthers fans are listening. Um, I'm still getting beat up in the comment section about my Jeremy Chin comment. I just want to point out he had a terrible game, played like trash. Um, so there goes his streak of being awesome all the time, and it's just going to make him go lower in the overall rankings as a safety. He currently has a, what, 61 overall grade, which makes him barely average. So everybody that's up in my comments talking about Jeremy Chin... Talking about Defensive Player of the Year because he got a touchdown that one time or two times or whatever. Yeah, he's also given up five touchdowns, so get out of my face. Jeremy Chin, give you some sweet chin music. What do you think about that? Think about that. That's what Aaron Rodgers did to Jeremy Chin's chin. Cleated it. That's what he did. Second lowest PFF grade he had all season um, was against the Green Bay Packers, so burn. Anyways, um... Again, you probably have a decent idea of what happened in this game if you've been combing through Twitter or whatever. But the uh, highest-grade offensive player by a mile was Mr. Billy Turner. Super happy about it, glad to see it, love to see it uh, for a guy that may potentially be taking over as the long-term right tackle. Him having a fantastic day is great. Two things I want to point out, though, because there's a couple people who want to get up in my face about, ha-ha, told you so. Number one, the Carolina Panthers have one good pass rusher, and from what I can tell, he lined up against David Bakhtiari all day. Number two, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to use PFF to say, ha-ha, to prove that I've been wrong using PFF, 
right? It's the same people that have been saying he's not doing very good that are telling us that he had a good day. If PFF is garbage, then you can't use this as your reference. You don't get to take his 92.6 overall grade and say, haha. You don't use PFF. You think they're garbage, remember? You can't you can't jump in here and be all haha and sharing all the PFF stats when Aaron Rodgers is number one, Devontae's number one, Bakhtiari's number one, Corey Lindsley's number one. You can't do that and then turn around and say PFF is trash when they say something you don't like. And I'm not I'm not coming at you, coach. I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm just in general, people do that. It drives me nuts. Everybody's like, Oh, PFF is stupid when you say Aaron Rodgers had a bad day or Savage had a bad day or whatever. But you say Savage was the best, highest-graded player in PFF history this year, and everybody, dude, check this out, what you know about that? No, 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 you don't get to use them. You think they're garbage. Sorry. Go do your own film work, do your own grades. You come up with your own idea. You grade every single NFL football player and then tell me how Savage ranked. Get out of my face. But uh, he had a good day. Uh, Primarily as a run blocker, he had a 91.6 overall run blocking grade. I don't remember the last time I've seen an elite run blocking grade from... Hardly anybody, especially a Green Bay Packers. So Billy Turner is really doing a great job. Uh, Coach Hahn did send me a video. I'm way behind the eight ball trying to get my draft videos up. Um, Got a lot of stuff to do for that, but I will be getting that video up sooner than later, just kind of showing some of the running concepts and some of the good and some of the bad. Uh, Not surprisingly, Billy Billy Turner is doing a good job, and they're using him seemingly a lot in terms of, you know, when you've got a lead blocker or whatever, they're pulling Turner. He seems to be the guy, and uh, you're starting to understand why. Um, Again, the the biggest concern, I guess, is maybe pass blocking. Not that it's been bad. Again, the stats are fine uh, as long as you just look at sack, but uh, the pressures aren't great. The grades aren't great. I don't know. I don't know. Again, there's, there's a lot of what do you do in this situation when you start talking about the draft and whatnot. You can make a case for a lot of positions, but you can also make a case against almost all the positions. Uh, second highest graded player, small sample size, but he deserves the credit, is A.J. Dillon. Other guys that were in the 70s, i.e. good, Mercedes Lewis, Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, Jamal Williams, and Rick Wagner. Whole lot of average to slightly below average. There were only three guys that they really isolated as having a bad day. MVS, Robert Tunyon, and Equinemius St. Brown. Uh, the latter two primarily horrific run blocking. And we saw that with Robert Tunyon uh, on that screen in his inability to block a DB. Absolutely infuriating. On the defensive side, much better. Um, 12 out of 19, uh, 11 out of 19 players were good or better which is phenomenal. Only four were below average. Only two-ish were kind of bad. Only one was really, really bad, and that's Tyler Lancaster. Rashawn Gary was also not good. We definitely didn't see him show up all that much. Although, well, let me let me run. Well, no, I'll say it. The pressures weren't actually that bad from anybody. I mean, I don't think anybody, with the exception of, I mean, anybody that you would expect to be able to get pressures. Uh, so Tyler Lancaster, I think, is the only defensive lineman slash edge rusher that didn't get to 10%. Kingsley Kiki had two pressures on 18 attempts, right? That's above 10%. Uh, Rashawn Gary, three pressures on 25 attempts. That's above 10%. Preston Smith, three pressures on 28 attempts, just above 10%. Dean Lowry, three on 27. Zadarius, four on 37. The only guy that kind of blew it out of the water was Kenny Clark, five pressures on 31 attempts. So everybody was at the 10% mark, which isn't great. It's just sufficient. But if everybody's sufficient, I think I'm okay with that. And then you got one guy that kind of pops off, Kenny Clark. And you also get some guys that come up with sacks. You got Amos had a sack. You got Preston had a sack. You got Zadarius had a sack. I think overall that combined, when you've got one, two, three, four, five, six guys 
that are getting to the quarterback 10% of the time or more, that's that's fine. I'm fine with that. So, again, I good effort uh, as far as pass rush, in my opinion. Um, and, again, half more than half of the defense graded out well. Um, we'll start from the bottom, I guess. Kingsley Kiki came in positive, mostly as a pass rusher, not anything super fantastic as far as run defense. Darnell Savage coming in at number 10. Top end, run defense grade, great tackling. Coverage, they had him as mediocre, which is the only reason he didn't have a higher grade, but there he was the highest graded run defender on the team. Uh, looks like second highest graded tackler on the team. I'm guessing you can guess who the number one tackler is. Maybe not. I don't know. Coming in at number nine, Jair Alexander. Basically good grades across the board. Um, fairly good tackling or fairly good run defense. Great tackling. Solid coverage. Um, so he just he was he was good across the board and ended up good. Pretty much 70s all the way across. And he's he's been pretty consistent with that, which is another good thing about Jair. He doesn't always get in the 90s, but he's always good and he's good across the board. He's been doing that consistently more often. It's not like a lot of times with DBs, you're solid in coverage, but you're trash at tackling and everything else. No, he just he just does his job, whatever that job is. Coming in at number eight, Preston Smith. Uh, big shocker. He was the only guy that graded out terribly in coverage. I just, I never would have seen that coming. He dropped six times. Please stop doing that. But decent pass rush grade, decent tackling, decent run defense. Pretty much ran the gamut, considering I don't really care about his coverage ability because he shouldn't be doing that anyway. Uh, I think he did good across the board. Coming in at number seven, Kamal Martin. Obviously, his big thing is run defense. I actually didn't uh, give him a super great tackling grade, probably because he had uh, two tackles, one assist, and a miss, which is not a good ratio when you got two tackles and a miss. But overall, run defense grade was uh, solid. His coverage was average. So, I mean, again, he just continues to dominate. I saw somewhere, I don't know if I'm going to have time to confirm it. I'm pretty sure I won't. But um, somebody was saying he's now the highest graded rookie linebacker in all of all of football, which is just incredible. In fact, if we look at him overall right now, um, he has not had a bad day since his third week out. So again, he had a really good day week seven. Weeks eight and ten were bad. Since then, he's had a good day every single day with the exception of his game against Philly. He graded out his average. But 78, 76, 83, 74, 73, these, these are five of his eight games have been 70s and 80s. 76.6 overall, 74 coverage grade. Just, I mean, he's just been good, man. He's just solid. And not I mean, nobody has good games every single week. I mean, absolutely nobody. So even if he's just a season, I mean, if, if, if this was Jair, I'd be content with this. If this was Kevin King's grades, I'd be more than happy with this. He's mostly dominant every single week with the, uh, with the exception of a couple blips. I would love it if Kevin King had one year like this. Uh, coming in at number six, small sample size, but I'll give him the credit anyways, Mr. Randy Ramsey. Nothing really to look at here because he didn't do much, but whatever. Coming in at number five, Mr. Dean Lowry. 82.3 overall pass rush grade. Starting to step it up in that category. This was the highest grade Dean Lowry has gotten um, all year. He had, let me see here, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, pressures through week 12. He's had nine the last three weeks. He had five pressures against Philly, one against Detroit, and three against Carolina. The f- he had not gotten any more than two pressure through week 12. He's had two games now with more than two pressure. So, I mean, his overall grade is still not great, but, um, I mean, he's he's got, he's kind of starting to put it together, I guess. Whatever, I'll take it. Uh, coming in at number four, you got Kenny Clark. Dominant, dominant pass rush grade, highest of anybody on the team, 88.4. Run defense, they were not overly impressed. He graded out his average. Uh, tackling was solid. And there you go. Coming in at number three, we got Mr. Chris Barnes. 
which is awesome because it's not a small sample size. He was out there for 31 snaps. In fact, let's take a look at the snap counts of the linebackers here. Um, you've got Christian Kirksey with 49, which is just too many. He had a 63 overall grade. Um, then we've got Chris Barnes coming in at 31 snaps, and we've got Kamal Martin coming in at 22. So, anyways, Chris Barnes, uh, 75 coverage grade, solid. Tackling grade was basically 80, which is very good. Run defense was an 80, which is very good. So it's it's one thing when he makes like a giant play, right? That's that's cool when you make like a good play, but that doesn't mean you're going to grade out really well throughout the course of a game. You know, that's one of 31 snap. But when, when you have a, an 80 overall run defense grade, an 80 overall tackling grade, and a 75 coverage grade, and he was in coverage 15 times, not a small sample size. Three targets, three receptions for nine yards. That's it. That's just It's just a good game. Now, I'm, I'm clearly not going to overreact because Chris Barnes has been one of the worst linebackers in all of football basically this entire year. He still, after that performance, has a 41 overall grade. I've been saying forever that the linebackers every week are the worst players. He came off a 28.6 overall grade against Detroit. So no, I'm not going to overreact about this and say that he we need more Chris Barnes and this, that, and the other. But I'm still very encouraged by what he did. There's clearly some potential there. And again, it, it contributes to that question. You know, okay, so we're, we're maybe not going to do right tackle because we like Billy. What about linebacker? Okay, well, what about Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin? Are we just forgetting about them? It's just, it just seems like every position, you got that kind of a conundrum. Uh, coming in at number two, Adrian Amos with a 91.2 overall grade. Elite. Both of our safeties uh, on the overall safety board are creeping up. I think Amos is now back up in the top ten, which is a masterful performance considering how he started off the season. Uh, one of the bigger disappointments this year was Adrian Amos, and right now, based on what he's been doing, Again, top 10 safety this season. So he's just been coming back with a vengeance. 88.9 overall coverage grade, six targets, three receptions for 15 yards, and had three pass breakups. Also had six tackles, two assists, three stops, no missed tackle. Um, 85 tackling grade, 82.5 pass rush grade. He had a he had one sack and, and no pressures, probably because it wasn't a designed pressure. He caught a guy sneaking or whatever. And then the number one highest-graded player, props to Mr. Chandon Sullivan. Um, Chandon, I feel like, has been um, kind of flying under the radar. He's had some bad games here and there, but uh, it's really good to see him step up, especially in a week. This is one of the things I love is when things aren't going well and you see guys like Chandon step up. Right, The whole team is on the sideline pouting. Everything's going bad. He's able to tune that out and have the, the best game of his entire career. 92.5 overall grade. His tackling grade was actually putrid which is not great um pass rush grade was terrible he had three attempts didn't get home one but he had a 92.9 overall coverage grade which obviously is what he did most of the time uh of 37 times being on the field in coverage four targets two receptions for 29 yards and a pass breakup so there you go folks mostly great game i did by the way peak at special teams just to see, you know, is, is there somebody that kind of stepped up? Are we seeing anybody make some improvements? Did anybody grade out well? Did anybody do their job? The answer is no. Uh, there was nobody that was even above average. Like 63-ish was about the highest grade on special teams. And there's like 30 guys or more on special teams. So to have that few guys perform well, it's just kind of uh, kind of unacceptable. But hopefully one of these days we get one person to have a good game on special teams. And if I, yeah, maybe I do have time. Let's just do it. 
The last time we had anybody do well on special teams, week 13, Chris Barnes and Dominique Daphne. The last two weeks in a row, we have not had one person do well on special teams. Week 12, zero people. So in the last four weeks, we had one week. Week 11, Raven Green, who obviously is not playing right now, Will Redmond, Kamal Martin, and Josh Jackson. What a great week. Week 10, we just had Malik Taylor and nobody else. Week 9, Henry Black, Raven Green, and John Lovett. And and to be clear, again, the reason why this isn't impressive to have like three guys, 41, three out of 41 in week nine graded out well. It's just, it just sucks, man. And remember, I, I, you know, I went over, who was it, Philly or whatever, we looked at their special teams and they had like 15 guys in the 70s overall as special teamers. We have nobody. By the way, while we're here, um, PFF's highest graded team overall right now is the Green Bay Packers. Overall team, period. Green Bay Packers, 91.7 overall. The Rams are number two, 90.2. I'm sure yesterday's grade has not come in yet, so that may drop. Kansas City Chiefs are three at 89.8. Seahawks, then Buffalo Bills, then Colts, then Titans at seven, then Saints, then Bucks, then Steelers, then Browns, then the 49ers who are eliminated, then the Bears at 13, on and on and on it goes. But special teamers, the only guy right now with a 70.0 Overall grade on the season on special teams is Ty Summers. The only guy at 70, and he's literally at 70, 70.0. So, yeah, it's just it's just not good enough. But you knew that. Anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.